You're listening to Faith Assembly of God Online, a recording of our weekly service. Thanks for joining with us, a place where hope and reality converge. Jesus came to seek and to save. Came to save the world. Anything less than that is off-center. And I'm not just hammering away at... um, Semantics tonight. The Lord has called us to save the world. To tell this world about a Savior whose name is Jesus. How many of us have one of these? It's okay, you can confess. I'm showing you mine. Um, This is a smartphone. I don't know what they were before they got smart. Um, We didn't call them a dumb phone. Uh, But now they got smart. Called a smartphone. Um, How many people do you think support? you suppose, has one of these. Um, At the turn of the millennium, uh, 14 years ago, there were only 300 million users of cell phones. How many do you think there are today? 4.2 billion. This right here helped to change the world. 2001, I was on the back of a bus in Bangkok, Thailand, and I got on with a couple of pastor friends. We were going from one place to another. It was a hot day. Every day is hot in Bangkok, Thailand. And I was sitting on the back of the bus, and I got on, and, and I had a, a cell phone, but uh, it, was, um, it was one of those back in those days. You had a stylist that went with it, and, and you'd write little notes and different things like that. And uh, it, was, it was a Palm Pilot. And I remember getting on the back of the bus, sitting there, and I was looking at a short video clip that Bill Bright had asked me uh, to review while I was in Bangkok. And I was sitting in the back with a cell phone in my hand, and the Holy Spirit quickened me and said, in the future, people will study just like this. That day is upon us. When, I, when we launched the, uh, the network in 2002, we stood before, Bill Bright and I stood before about 6,000 people in an auditorium, and we said, the day will come that the internet, the training on the internet will be far more significant than all of the Bible colleges and seminaries and universities combined together at any single time. That was 2002. Some people yawned and said, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know what? No one is saying that today. The world in which we have known is radically, dramatically changed, and people are more open to networking today than any other time in human history. Sometimes people network for bad causes, not always for good causes. You understand that, right? And, but in the body of Christ, um, we are about tying knots. No knot, no net. We're all about tying relational knots. When I was out to lunch with Pastor today and his lovely wife, we went over to Red Lobster. And, and in that time we were there, uh, there were three or four uh, distinguished pastors that came by and greeted your pastor uh, from different streams of Christianity, and they were having conversation. I was meeting a number of Pastor Jason's friends because, you see, he's been building bridges instead of fences, He's been tying knots, and, and so people are interested in this day and time in, in tackling something and doing it together. You know, Fayette County is too large for any single person to do it, but together we can achieve that. Uh, and that's what your pastor is about. 
I want you to see two images. The first one I want you to see is a group of Chinese leaders. You can throw that, that image up on the screen. Um, this took place last July. I was asked to fly over to mainland China on a Monday, and I was going to fly back on a Friday. And, and I did that. Um, they reached out to me and said, hey, James, we know that um, you're going to be in Dallas on a, fri- on a Sunday, and the following Sunday you're going to be in Omaha, but you could be with us in China during the week. And, uh, and so I flew uh, to China and got there on Tuesday night, taught four lessons on networking, <clears throat> got back on a plane on Friday, gained all your time back, and was back in Dallas by 5 o'clock on Friday. On Saturday, went to Omaha, and then on Monday, I went home. Now, this picture, you're not going to recognize any of those leaders in this picture. They got a three-day notice as to where the event would be. And the last time I checked, China's a pretty big piece of real estate. So if you didn't happen to be nearby, you really had to hump it pretty fast to get there. You got a three-day notice because of the security restrictions for such an event like this. And, and you wouldn't know who was going to be teaching until you walked into the room. And then after the meeting was over, you quickly adjourn, catch your flight or take your car, get your bus, and go wherever you're going to go. This was in mainland China. That picture represents 70 universities in mainland China. The men and women in that, in that uh, picture teach at 70 different universities in mainland China. Are you listening to me tonight? This is far more significant than the international teacup that's going on tonight. Um, in mainland China, there's 45,000 people a day coming to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Now, I don't know what the population is of Uniontown, but it wouldn't take very long to clip that. Are you listening to me? 45,000 a day coming to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. There are more Christians in China today than there are card-carrying communists in China today. That is a fact. Um, If you were to even use your smartphone and ask how many Christians there are in China, it would say 108 million. Um, Maybe they'll miss it by 5 million. Maybe it's... Five up, five down. But the point is, is that Christianity is flourishing. And, and the day will come that the underground church will be recognized by the, by the, by the Chinese government as the uh, opportunity to flourish and to worship the king of the universe in mainland China. The church is growing so fast that now even the communist state cannot ignore the reality that, uh, that, that you have well over 100 million people who love Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Amen? The Lord is doing a phenomenal work. And so a gentleman met me uh, a year ago in an event in in, uh, Central Florida. He's a Chinese leader. He said, James, if you'll go, I'll pay your way. He paid my way there and back, took care of all the other. But when I was there, I met a number of Chinese leaders. And then in the process of that, um, they said, we want to take uh, your book on how to make the network. We want to take ownership of it, and we want to translate it into, into Chinese, and we want to get it done in three months. And I said, okay. And I've learned a lot about uh, Chinese over the last uh, seven, ten years. You want to get something done? Give it to a Chinese leader. He'll, 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 he'll get it done. I promise you. He'll get it done faster than you've ever imagined. Uh, when he takes ownership, or he, she takes ownership of it. And, and I said, okay. I said, if you will translate it into Chinese, I will, I will give it. I will give the book uh, to the Chinese church so that you might distribute it uh, to your leaders. I got an email uh, Friday night 
from this particular leader, his first name is Paul, uh, is saying that the job was done. He sent me a complete uh, translated copy of the how to make the network uh, in Chinese. And then he said, in March, we're going back to mainland China, and we're going to be giving that resource to all the key house church leaders in mainland China to help them to better network in mainland China so that everybody in mainland China might hear the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Somebody said amen. Now, I want, to see, want you to see a picture of the book. Next image, if you throw that up. Uh, this is the book, and I'm going to be teaching from that tomorrow morning uh, here at the, at the round table on how to make the network. Now, we want to tackle Arabic. Uh, and I said to you this morning that we want to work on some hard stuff because we figure we can take care of the easy stuff, but let's take care of the hard stuff. Uh, Arabic is the next language we want to put the network book in. And then after that particular language is going to be Hindi. The reason we want Hindi is because in, in, in uh, India, uh, there's over 700 million people who speak Hindi. Um, there's 1.2 billion, uh, almost 1.3 billion people there. Uh, but Hindi being the, the major language in that area uh, of the world. And so tonight's offering, when Pastor Jason comes, is going to help us to tackle this book in Arabic so that we can get the training resources in the underground church there. And we will ask uh, uh, key leaders in the Middle East to translate it. We just figure the people who speak the language in the region far do a better job than a person who speaks the language in America. All right, and so the day of thinking that we have to get everybody in North America to do all the work, that day is long gone. We need to move from parenting to partnering, and that is a mindset more than just an action. And so tonight, I'm going to ask you to be generous in your gift, and every $10 is going to help us to take care of an Arabic page. Uh, there's 220-something pages in the book, and we want to get it done, and we will give you a report back uh, when it's done. In fact, we'll send you a copy of the book to Pastor Jason. He can give it uh, to you. And so tonight, on behalf of our Arabic brothers and sisters in some of the hardest places in the Middle East, I want to say thank you tonight. We can do a lot more together than we can by ourselves. Let's make it harder for somebody to live on the planet and not hear the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you, and God bless you. Love you, Brother Jason. Well, this is a great privilege. I'm going to ask the ushers to come and uh, uh, help us receive the offering tonight. Great privilege that we have of being a part of uh, networking together and a part of uh, partnering to see the gospel uh, expand and the name of Jesus preached throughout the world and uh, the area. So uh, thank you for your, your faithfulness in giving. And we'll ask the Lord to, to bless tonight this offering. Father, thank you, God, for the word that has come alive to us. Thank you for your, your truth that has, uh, that has been spoken. And God, thank you that you brought it to us in our language. And Lord, on the day of Pentecost, when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they spoke the language of the people around them. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, that your spirit would make it possible Lord, the, the, uh, the, uh, the truth of your word and the empowerment of, of, of your word, God, would uh, be translated. And, and God, just uh, practical tools be put into the hands of these leaders. Lord, we pray your blessing over this offering as we give it today. Let it be used for your glory. In Jesus' name, And everybody said, amen. 
Amen. God bless you. Thank you for uh, giving. I know uh, tonight we're going to turn the lights up a little bit and get ready for the word. If you have your Bible, get ready to pull that out. We've been calling this the Refresh Week and uh, just a time of coming together to be refreshed. And uh, there are times when you need a drink and sometimes you got to take a drink and you need something and you need one of these because it's you're thirsty. And sometimes that's not enough and it's disposable. You need a little more. And then so what do you do? You find something else that you can make a little more use of. I don't know where this came from. It's a Camelback water bottle. So if anybody's missing a Camelback, Pastor, this is yours? Oh, you're missing a water bottle. Oh, what? Ha- how'd you miss it? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how you're missing a water bottle. I think, uh, I don't know how it got up here. I think the teenagers must have yeah, but if you're really thirsty, you get Pastor Josh's water bottle. You better give it back to him. <laughs> but how many know the Word of God is what refreshes? If you have your Bible, how many have your Bibles tonight? If you have your Bibles, let's pull them out, get ready for the Word of the Lord. Let's welcome uh, uh, James Davis as he comes again. James, good having you, brother. Appreciate you. Appreciate the opportunity to pick your brain at lunch, and we'll do it again. <laughs> Thank you very much. Since you have God's Word, Isaiah chapter 50. Isaiah chapter 50, I'll give you a moment uh, to find it. Uh, Isaiah chapter 50, we're going to be again in a moment with verse uh, number 3, Isaiah 50. I'm going to try this water out, by the way. You want the other one that's here? Isaiah chapter 50. Uh, Tomorrow night, I want to speak on the fall of Lord Lightning. We're in spiritual warfare, spiritual battles every day of our life. Now, I don't live a a spooky life. I don't think there's a demonic spirit underneath every green tree uh, in the world. Some people live a spooky life. Um, The devil is not omnipresent. He's not everywhere. You do know that, don't you? Um, God is everywhere. Uh, He doesn't have to go somewhere to get to someplace. Uh, he's already there. Um, you know, he was with us at home, and yet he got here before we did this morning and tonight. Uh, but the enemy doesn't like it when any person or people decide to take more territory, decide to move forward. Um, sometimes a person will say, well, I'm not afraid of the devil. Well, that's not even the question. The question is, is the devil afraid of you? Uh, I, I want my name whispered in the hot halls of hell every day. I want the enemy to know that when I get up, it's not going to be as good as they thought it was going to be. I, I want my life to impact new areas. And tomorrow night, I want to teach on the fall of Lord Lightning. And at the end of the service tomorrow night, We're going to pray for divine healing and deliverance in the service. Uh, Jesus sent them out, and they went out preaching and teaching and sharing, and went out healing, bringing uh, demonic forces down, and and God gave them victory. And that's what I'm going to talk about uh, tomorrow night. And I want to encourage you to make plans to be with us. On Tuesday night, I want to speak on a very contemporary issue issue or issues that we are addressing or struggling with in, in our culture. And tomorrow, on Tuesday night, I want to speak on snake eggs, spider webs, 
and traffic jams. On Wednesday night, I want to speak on pathway to personal power with God. It is God's desire and God's design for every believer to be filled and full of the power of God. It's God's desire. It's his design for us to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. If we are going to have significant impact in our schools, college, university, zip code, place where we work or serve, it's going to be more than, than our ability and more than our power ingenuity is going to take the power of God's Spirit in our life to order to achieve that. Uh, and I believe that God desires that. Did you know that there's almost 700 million Pentecostals and Charismatics in the world today? A hundred years ago, there was just a handful. But today it's bumping on 700 million. Um, Faith Assembly is part of uh, what's called the Assemblies of God. God has blessed the Assemblies of God all over the world. There's 325,000 churches in the Assemblies of God. In any given day, more than 100,000 are studied in Bible schools and institutes uh, for ministry every day. Uh, we're on a track to cross 500,000 churches by the year 2020. There's 68 million members of the Assemblies of God all over the world. It is the largest denomination and fellowship on the planet, but it's not even 10% of the Pentecostal charismatic community in the world, and it's only 5.5% of the Christian population in the world, and, and my friend, God is doing amazing work all over the world. Someone said years ago, they said, oh, Pentecost will blow over, and they were right. It's blowing all over the world, uh, and, and yet, my friend, if we're going to have significant influence and impact, it's going to be through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit of the living God. And I need that. You need that in your life. And I encourage us, as Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come unto me, he said, and drink. And out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word tonight? Isaiah chapter uh, 50. Isaiah chapter 50. We're going to begin uh, with verse number 3. Uh, of, um, of this text tonight, verse number 3. Notice carefully what God's Word uh, says uh, this evening. Let me grab it here. I clothe the heavens with blackness and make sackcloth their covering. The Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples that I may know how to sustain a weary one with a word. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple the Lord God opened my ear, and I was not disobedient, nor did I turn back. Go down to verse number 10. Who is it among you that fears the Lord, that obeys the voice of his servant, that walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who encircle yourselves with firebrands, walk in the light of your fire, and among the brands you have set ablaze, this you will have from my hand. You will lie down in torment. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the day that you have trusted us with. Thank you, Lord, for your blessings that they are so wonderful. They're like the sand, innumerable. They're like the stars. We can't name them all. God, you are so incredibly amazing beyond comprehension. Words are not adequate for us to describe you or to even to declare what your value is to us. It's beyond our expression. Lord, I thank you tonight for 
your blessings. And I thank you, God, for every man and woman in this sacred gathering. I pray, Lord, that you will deposit godly wisdom in every person's heart. And, Lord, help us to rule our life well with the wisdom that you give to us. I pray, Lord, that you'd anoint me to speak, and everything I'm about to say will be ordered and directed by you. And, Lord, we'll be careful to give you the praise for it in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said amen and amen. You may be seated. What I'm about to teach tonight, I placed not too long ago in a book entitled, What to Do When the Lights Go Out. A friend of mine asked me uh, not too long ago, he said, um, he said, James, uh, how long did it take you to write this book? He just casually was talking to me. And I said, about 20 years. And then he said, really? It took you that long? I said, really did. I said, I, I didn't write it until I felt like I understood it so that I could live with what I write years later. And so I'm about to teach tonight out of something that took me about 20 years to learn. And I can promise you this. Every one of us, sooner or later, sometime or another, we're going to walk through what's called the midnight hour of the soul. It's just a matter of time. And my admonition to you uh, is, if in any way possible, get a copy of it. We have a small quantity that we brought. And, but I also recommend you get a couple of copies for people who don't know the Lord. They're more apt to listen to the gospel in a time of crisis than any other time in their life. And all the proceeds from the books go into the Billion Soul Network. In fact, um, what a lot of people don't know is that when we're involved in the network, whether it be abroad, overseas, or here in the U.S., it's by volunteer. All the co-chairs that you hear, heard even mentioned in the video, it's all by volunteer. Uh, we volunteer our time, our energy, our resources, and say, you've got something you can add. I've got something we can add. Surely together we can multiply uh, and do something significant. And so uh, all the proceeds and the resources go to that effort. Every, every copy, if you buy one copy, is $10 or three for 20 I recommend you get a couple of extra ones and give it away to somebody else that desperately needs to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. We get sick, we get better. We get sick and we get better. And as I said this morning, if the Lord tarries long enough, we get sick and we don't get better. Death runs in my family. Death runs in your family. Richard Nixon, when he passed away, Billy Graham spoke at his funeral. And this is what he said. There is democracy in death. And it comes to us equal and it makes us equal when it comes. It's just a matter of time. Every one of us here tonight are at one of three places on life's journey. We're either in trouble or just getting out of trouble or headed back to trouble. I'm not being morbid tonight. You read the, the normal church in the book of Acts, and you'll find out they served God and they got in trouble. And then God helped them to get out of trouble. They kept serving God and they got back in trouble. Sometimes God gets you out of trouble. Sometimes God gets in trouble with you. But if you're going to get in trouble... Make sure you're getting in trouble for the right reason. Not because you said something stupid before you thought, before you, before you, you, you iterated something that later you will regret. But, you know, Isaiah said, who is it that fears the Lord, that obeys the Lord? And then he says, and walks in darkness and has no light. You would think the person who loves the Lord, who fears the Lord, would always walk in sunlight. 
who would never have to go through a difficult time in his or her life. But that's not what the Bible teaches. And that's not what the Word of God declares. And for a little while tonight, I want to teach on what to do when the lights go out. I want to encourage you to write down what I call the diadems of darkness. And then when you get home, I encourage you to put it on a four-by-six card. And then take that four-by-six card and put it on your refrigerator door. And the reason I recommend that is because we go there just about every day, some of us more than others. And when you go, learn it. Because we don't have to live reactionary lives. We can live actionary lives. We can live a life that is planned and prepared. It doesn't mean we can't stop the crisis or the storm, but we can be prepared and we can be planned. God has a plan for your life and my life. He wants us to be prepared. He knows that the ebb and flow of life will come, and he doesn't want us to live such haphazard lives. I believe tonight that God wants to teach us. He wants to pour in godly wisdom in our lives. Benjamin Franklin, one of the founders of our nation, used to teach and say that uh, there's two ways to acquire wisdom. We can either buy it or we can borrow it. But then he said there's no person rich enough to buy all the wisdom that he or she needs for the entirety of their life. So we can either choose to buy it and go to the, uh, to the school of hard knocks, or we can borrow it and we can grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. I want to encourage us tonight to borrow godly wisdom because the world in which we know is shaking. It's going to continue to do so. But we don't have to live in uh, an unprepared, unplanned life. We can live a life that is pleasing to the king of the universe. It begins with what I call faith's devotion. And here is the principle. Those of deepest devotion sometimes go through the deepest darkness. If you could throw that slide up, that'd be great. Deepest devotion. Those of deepest devotion sometimes go through the deepest darkness. Let's not kid ourselves tonight. Just because we love the Lord doesn't mean that trouble will not knock on our heart's door. In fact, the Bible teaches just the opposite in many cases. I love the book of Job. If it's been a while since you've read the book of Job, I encourage you to read the whole book of Job. Don't jump to the end of the book when it starts to getting pretty good at the end. And when Job would, said, would say his fate became like pure gold. Uh, how did it become like pure gold? Because it was refined in a dark period in his life. In fact, the Bible says he lost his health. He lost his wealth. He lost his sons, uh, sons and daughters. He lost his grandsons and granddaughters. He, he, he lost his friends. One day his uh, wife would say, why don't you just curse the Lord and die? Uh, this didn't happen in a seven-day period of time. This happened over a season of time in his life. And then somebody will quickly say, yeah, but he got back everything he lost. But don't miss the point. Don't think for a moment just because he had more children didn't mean he didn't go visit the graveyard where the other children were buried. It's amazing how glibly we pass through uh, the difficulty that some people go through. I can just tell you this much. Christian cliches never heal a broken heart. 
And it's amazing to me how somebody will walk up and glibly say, well, you know, it's all right, man. Everything's cool. Well, no, not necessarily so. I remember when we uh, laid to rest uh, our second child and, and, uh, and a lady walked up to my wife one time in a foyer of a church and said, that's okay, honey. You're young. You can have another baby. You know, I just wanted to walk over and write stupid right there on that forehead. Stupid. Because listen to me tonight. Just because we are devoted to the Lord doesn't mean that we won't have to go through some challenges in our life. Uh, I love the book of Habakkuk. Pastor Jason and I were talking a little earlier and, uh, about a course that we were involved in back in uh, uh, the late 1990s. And he mentioned I was teaching some out of Habakkuk. I love the book of Habakkuk. It's only uh, three chapters long. If you haven't read the book in a while, I recommend that you read it. Uh, it's, a, it's a powerful book. Uh, it takes take you about 15 minutes, if you take your time, to read it. And chapter 1, Habakkuk is asking some questions. It's okay to ask God some questions. It's okay to ask him big questions because he's a big God. You ask a small person big questions, you get small answers. It's okay to ask God big questions. Habakkuk is saying things like this. Lord, do you hear me when I pray? Lord, do you see the injustice on the earth? Lord, when are you going to balance the books? The righteous are suffering. The unrighteous are prospering. He's saying, God, do you hear me? Do you understand what I'm trying to say? God finally answers him in chapter 1. And he says, um, what I'm up to, you can't comprehend. If, if you ask the Lord something, and uh, an answer or something, and he comes back and he says, well, I'm sorry, what I'm up to, you can't comprehend. Just back up and say, well, thank you for the answer. But Habakkuk doesn't do that. He says, I want to know what you're up to. Then God answers. And he says, I'm raising up the Babylonians. Now stop right there. God's doing what? God's raising up who? God's raising up the Babylonians? Are those the guys that you want your daughters to hang out with? Are these the guys you can invite over for Sunday brunch? Are these the guys that you think will play fair? My friend, they don't just play uh, uh, for keeps. They pray for life. They are one of the most horrific, mean-spirited people that ever walked this planet. And listen to what God said to Habakkuk. He said, I'm raising up the Babylonians. The Babylonians are coming to where you live. And they're going to take the Israelites into Babylonian captivity for 70 long years. Habakkuk thought it was dark with the injustice. But when he got a fresh word from God, he realized it hadn't even gotten dark yet. He thought what was going on was dark. Oh, he realized it hadn't even gotten dark yet. You know, God said, they're going to go away for 70 years. You ever ask yourself the question, why not 71? Why not 65? Why is God stuck on 70? Well, let me tell you why God is stuck on 70. He gave a law concerning the land. They were to till the land of the, of, of the, of the promised land for, uh, for six years. On the seventh year, they were to leave it alone. Do you think the Israelites obeyed the law of the land? No. They were too greedy. They didn't just want the produce from six years. They wanted the seventh year as well. 
And every time they tilled the soil on the seventh year, they broke the law of the land. Do you know how many times they did that? They broke the law of the land 70 times. And 490 years, they disobeyed it 70 times. How many years did they spend outside of the land in Babylonian captivity? 70 years. I'm here to tell you, God takes count. God marks it down, and sometimes God has to raise up something in order to get people to pay attention to what he has said. And Habakkuk is now catching the blight of the storm. He's living in a horrific time in his life. The world in which he has known will never be the same ever again. When you get to Habakkuk chapter 3, now he's singing. He says, I have hinds feet in high places. Uh, he's learned how to have high times and hard times. Is it because of economic expansion? Is it because democracy has now come to the land? No. He, he, the fact, he says at the very end of Habakkuk, he says the crops are gone, the cattle are dead. He said, but I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. How was he able to come to that conclusion? Well, based upon what he learned in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse number 1, I won't even have to finish it. We can finish it together. Habakkuk says, the just shall live by faith. Now, I'm glad Habakkuk said that so the apostle Paul could plagiarize it when he wrote the book of Romans. It wasn't Paul who first said the just shall live by faith. It was Habakkuk who said the just shall live by faith. And he learned it in a dark time in his nation's history. Now listen to what he said. He said the just. Aren't you glad you're justified? Aren't you glad we don't get what we deserve? He said the just shall live. We're not just limping along. He said the just shall live. How do we live? We live by faith. Faith in who? In the king of the universe. We live in faith in him. The size of our faith is determined by the object of our faith. We put our faith in ourselves, you get what yourself can do. Put your faith in your family, well, you get what your family can do. Put your faith in your company or organization, well, you get what your organization or company can do. You put your faith in your nation, well, you get what only your nation can do. But you learn to put your faith in God, you can get what God can do, and God can do anything. Hallelujah. And where did he learn that? He learned it in one of the darkest times of his life. You say, well, James, I'm a, I'm a New Testament Christian. Okay, let's get to the New Testament. Here's John the Baptist. John the Baptist is in a uh, dark, dank dungeon cell. He's scheduled to be beheaded. He's going to be a foot shorter than he was just a few days earlier. Uh, things are not going well for John. And... And so while John is in the dark dungeon cell, he sends a text message to the Messiah. He says, Lord, the rumor is I'm scheduled to be beheaded. But there's something that I must know. Listen to what John asked of Jesus. Are you the Messiah? Or should we just keep looking for him? Listen to the question. Are you the Messiah, or should we just keep looking for him? Now, before we're too hard on John the Baptist, because some might say, well, shame on John to be questioning uh, the very essence and integrity of Jesus. Before we're too hard on John, I want you to remember what Jesus said one time about John the Baptist. He said, no one had ever been born 
greater than John the Baptist. Now, how would you like, be, like to be updating your resume? And down at the bottom of your resume, put a little asterisk. And to the right of it, say these words. No one born greater. There's not a one of us who could put that on our resume. But that's who John the Baptist was. A text message comes back to John and says, The blind see, the deaf hear, the dead come back to life again. I am who I said I was. But was John the Baptist delivered? No. He was beheaded. He was at the finish line of his life. Those of deepest devotion sometimes go through the deepest darkness. Even Jesus, the Son of God, would go through Golgotha, Gethsemane and Golgotha and walk through the darkness of all before the sun would shine again. Don't let anybody put you on a guilt trip if you're walking through a challenging time in your life. I got off a plane in 1997, and I heard the news in London, England, of Princess Diana being tragically killed in a car wreck. The generation that's on the scene today, most of them don't even know who Princess Di was and is. But I heard the news of her death in London, England, and, uh, the, and I was there that week and saw the fanfare uh, of the, uh, the expression from around the world that came to England. Uh, but a few days after her passing, Mother Teresa passed away. Now, I want you to see a picture of Mother Teresa on the screen. Um, when she passed away, there wasn't much fanfare, much news about it. She died in Calcutta, India. But she made a statement not too long before she died. Listen to what she said. She said, you'll never know that Jesus is all you need until all you have is Jesus. Now, catch what she said. You'll never know that Jesus is all you need until all you have is Jesus. Now, when Mother Teresa passed away, all she had was a bucket, a stick, and a pair of wore-out sandals. Now, how many of us tonight have a little bit more to our name than a bucket, a stick, and a pair of wore-out sandals? I'll be the first one to raise my hand. How many of us got a little bit more than that? The rest of you need to confess, okay? It's okay. It's okay. God's been good to us, has he not? He's been good to us. And, you know, there's a difference between necessity and nicety, right? There's a difference. Sometimes we call niceties necessities. Then we have to go through a challenge and we realize, oh, maybe that wasn't a nice necessity. Maybe that was a nicety. But she passed away. She said, you'll never know that Jesus is all you need until all you have is Jesus. See, sometimes in the West, we, we, need, we say we need Jesus and something else. But listen, Jesus is enough. He's not just a answer. He is the answer. He's not just a way. He is the way. One time Jesus said, now listen to what he said. Listen to it carefully. He said, I am the way and the truth. Notice what he says. He says, truth is a person. Sometimes we teach truth as a principle. Sometimes we teach truth as a proposition. But my friend, the real essence of truth is found in Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way and I am the truth. 
I believe we as Christians ought to reframe the conversation in North America. Instead of arguing about what is truth, let's start the debate on who is truth. Because when you got saved and you were set free, it wasn't just because you believed in an idea or you just believed in a concept or you said, well, I think I will ascribe to that principle or to that postulate. No, Jesus, who is truth, came into your life and the truth set you free. Hallelujah. Oh, my friend, those of deepest devotion sometimes go through the deepest darkness. Secondly, it's what I call faith's development. The faith that is born in the light is developed in the dark. Faith is like film. It's better developed in the dark. Now, let's be honest with ourselves. When do we really grow? Throw that film strip up, picture up there. would be great. When do we really grow? Do we grow when things are really just easy? Or do we grow more when things are challenging? Um, when is the Bible read the most? When there's smooth sailing or rough waters? When do people oftentimes fast and pray? When things are just wonderful or things are not so good? Let me tell you the kind of phone calls I don't get. I don't get a friend of mine that calls and says, Hey, James, everything where I live is wonderful. Would you fast and pray three days with me? And you don't get those kind of calls either. Faith is like film. It's better, better developed in the dark. Let me tell you something I can do in our home back in Florida. I can get up in the middle of the night with all of the lights off. I can get out of bed and I can find the refrigerator. How many of us can find the fridge in the nighttime? pretty awesome, isn't it? It's incredible how you can get up and you don't hit the wall and you walk right through the door. And if there's someone who left a cookie on the counter, it's dark, you still know where the cookie is. It's because you learned where the refrigerator was in the daytime. If you don't believe that's true, go to another person's house that you've never been in before in the middle of the night with permission and walk in through the front door with no lights on. And you'll find it's not as easy to find their fridge as it is your fridge because you didn't learn where it was in the daytime. see the lord teaches us something in the daytime so that we can walk victoriously in the night time but if we don't take time in the daytime to absorb the word of god in our life we won't be ready when it's night time the word of god says the word is like word is like a lamp unto my path Another translation says, the word of God is like a lamp unto my feet. We don't need a lamp in the daytime. We need one in the nighttime. People say, well, I don't have time to spend time with the Lord. But then all of a sudden, when a crisis comes, it's amazing how they find that time that they didn't have. By the mile, it's a trial. By the yard, it's hard. By an inch, it's a cinch. How do we grow? Daily. We daily grow by getting alone with the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me tell you something that I do when I have my quiet time. I don't spend all my time talking. I spend 90% of my time saying nothing. I just figure he already knows what's on my mind. I figure he already knows what's on my list. 
But I can tell you what I don't know. I don't know what's on his mind, and I don't know what's on his list. My goal is to get what's on his list on my list, not what's on my list on his list. He already knows what's on my list. He already knows what's on my mind. But if I'll get still and I'll get quiet, I just might hear what God has to say. You know, it's okay for Pentecostals to be quiet. It's okay to turn off the music. It's okay to turn off the noise. It's okay to get still. And you just might hear the voice of Almighty God. His voice doesn't shout to be heard. The Bible says it is that still Small voice. The faith that is born in the light is developed in the dark. We don't live our lives by explanations. We live our lives according to God's promises. I learned that from Warren Worsby, the picture that you see here. I recommend his writings to you. He's in his, um, he's in his 80s now. He lives in Lincoln, Nebraska. I had him as a, as a professor uh, on preaching, but he's written on every book of the Bible, so he knows a little bit about the, about the Bible. Literally written on book, books, several books on every book of the Bible. Uh, and, but he said to us, you don't live according to what you can just explain. He said, because there's things you can't explain. But you live according to the promises of God. Uh, you ever talk to somebody and you say, well, how you, how, how you doing? And they say, well, I'm doing pretty good underneath the circumstances. I said, well, why did you decide to climb underneath them? Climb, climb underneath the circumstances like climbing underneath a mattress to go to bed. If you stay underneath that mattress too long, you might suffocate. That's not the way the Lord wants us to live our life. Now, understand, I'm not saying ignore the challenges. What I am saying is that we live our lives on the promises of God. Listen, God's promises are always consistent. God's promises are not up and down. God's promises are consistent every day. So when we learn to live our life on the promises, our life becomes as consistent as the promises. You know, some people are up and some people are down. They're like a roller coaster. Some people are like a termite in a yo-yo. Life never makes sense to them. And they're always here and there and, 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 and full of worry and anxiety. That's not the way the Lord wants us to live our life. We live our lives on the promises of God. If you're only going to follow the Lord as far as you can explain him, you're not going to follow him to the car tonight. Because his ways are higher than your ways. His thoughts are bigger than your thoughts. He sees the beginning to the end. He understands all there is about the universe. And my friend, there's so much about the Lord we don't understand. But we trust him anyway because his promises are sure. He's faithful to take care of us through the ebb and flow of our life. And if you believe it, say amen tonight. We don't just live according to explanation. We live according to the promises of God. Happiness determines about what happens, but joy comes from the Lord. And we don't just want happiness. We want the joy that only God can give us. Where reasoning cannot wade, faith must swim. Sometimes the Lord says, it's time to get going. Sometimes he says, no, you don't have it all finished yet, but you need to get going. Um, I believe you ought to count the cost. Jesus taught that. Before you build the house, count the cost of what it's going to cost you to build that house. Uh, it's okay to plan. God had a plan for your life and my life before there was ever the creation of the, of the world. Before there was ever sin in the Garden of Eden, God already had a plan called Calvary. 
It, it wasn't an afterthought. God knew from the beginning to the end. It's okay to plan. I think some of the most spiritual things we ever do is take time to pray and to plan and ask God to order our steps and our stops. And, but even though we do all that, there's going to come change from time to time. And so we don't just wait until everything's perfect. Sometimes God says, get going. And he will take care of us as we're going. So many people have spent so much time planning. By the time they get their plan together, the world's changed. It's like the man who was building, planning to build a bridge to where the, where the river was last year. While he was planning, the river moved. But he didn't make note that the fact that maybe he ought to relocate the bridge. The point is, sometimes we spend so much time, we miss the opportunity that God has for us. The faith that is born in the light is developed in the dark. Number three is what I call faith's discernment. There's some things you can see in the dark that you can't see in the light. Um, In fact, uh, you see the small things in the daytime. You see the big things in the nighttime. Um, In the daytime, it was cloudy today, but when the sun is out, it's about 93 million miles from here to the sun. Uh, It takes about 8.3 seconds, uh, 8.3 minutes rather, for a sun ray to leave the sun to get to Uniontown, Pennsylvania. Traveling about the same speed they travel out there on the highway. About 186,000 miles per second. Uh, And, but in the daytime you see that which is near. In the nighttime you see that which is far away. A few years ago, NASA released a composite picture of what they believe the Milky Way galaxy looks like. I want you to see this picture tonight and give you an idea of where you live. Now, now the next time you think you're doing something big for the Lord, just pull this picture out, okay? Uh, next time you think you've matured enough, just pull this picture out and we'll understand that how small we really are. Now, from one side of the other, the Milky Way galaxy, it's about 6 trillion miles from one side to the other. It's about the same distance that light travels in a year, going 186,000 miles per second. In the Milky Way galaxy, there's more than a trillion planets in the Milky Way galaxy. In the Milky Way galaxy, there's more than 200 billion suns, much larger than the sun that you can see on a bright, sunny day. That's how big our little galaxy is. And astrophysicists now say there's at least 500 billion such galaxies like this one in the known universe. The universe is still expanding at more than uh, 2 billion miles a day. Uh, That's why they just call it space, just huge amount of space. Now, in the, what we call the Milky Way galaxy, uh, we have solar systems. And a solar system is where a group of rocks go around a star. Now, we used to have nine planets, but about six years ago, they declared Pluto no longer a planet. So we lost a planet. I mean, think about it. We, we lost 15% of our planets. You know, when you start losing planets and you start with nine, it's, you know, it doesn't take long before they kind of clip away. Uh, 
You know, the furthest planet out there on our solar system has only been around twice since Jesus Christ came out of the grave. It goes around about once every thousand years. We go around once every 365 days. We call our little rock called Earth. Now, Jesus Christ came down the starry spangled skies of glory. He was born in a Bethlehem manger. He was raised in Nazareth on a place called Earth. It's where Jesus Christ came. The apex of God's creation was not the stars that he created or the galaxies that he formed, but the apex of his creation, the the supreme zenith of of his creation was when he created mankind. It was his greatest achievement. Um... When you walk out in the middle of the night, and it's been a while since you've done it, I want to encourage you to do it sometime soon. Walk out in the middle of the night with no lights on and put your eyes on the stars above. And if you get really, really quiet, you can hear what the stars are whispering to one another. The Bible says in the book of Psalms, that the stars declare the glory of the Lord. Another version says, the stars declare the greatness of our God. Where do we get a glimpse of his glory? In the sunshine, walking across the parking lot? No. But in the darkest time, when we learn to put our eyes on who he is. And I'm telling you tonight, God will be greater to you in the time of your darkness than any other time in your life. He will reveal things to you. He will teach things to you. He will share things with you when you learn to walk with him in the darkness that comes your way. And in the midst of it, you put your eyes on who he is and you'll realize how glorious and how great the king of kings really is. And if you believe it, say amen tonight. Oh, my friend, there's some things we can see in the dark that we can't see in the light. Number four is what I call faith's danger. And here's the principle. It's better to serve the Lord in darkness than create your own light. What did, what did Isaiah say? He said, if we create our own fire in darkness, he said in verse 11, that we will lie down in torment and suffer. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the temptation that we face when we come to challenges is that we can try to undo what God's doing. When, when challenges come our way, sometimes we try to fix the problem by ourselves. You may say, but that person offended me deeply by what he or she said. Well, if you decide to get out there and roll around with the pigs, I can just tell you, you're going to smell like pigs, and the pigs are going to enjoy a lot more than you are. And you say, but I got an email that I just can't believe that person would send it to me. And that person is just hoping you're dumb enough to write them back. Because when you do, they're going to send you another zinger. If you think that that is the end of it just because I'm going to teach them a lesson, uh, you're going to have to understand, you better prepare to camp a long time before that email battle is over. And I'm just telling you this much. Don't send stuff on the Internet that you don't want told to somebody else. Because you know what? They won't treat that email like they would a memo in the office. 
No one in their right mind would print out 100,000 pieces of paper in the office and put them in an envelope and put a stamp on it. They would say that takes too much time and too much money, but they don't care if they send it to 50,000 other people and you find out later. I'm here to tell you, my friend, there's some common sense that Christians just need to apply to their life. There was a book that came out a number of years ago. They call it a factual book, but it's, I think it's fictitious. They said, the title of the book was, and this put out in the business community, says, learn to swim with the sharks. Well, my friend, you don't swim with the sharks. That's stupid. You swim with the sharks, they'll have you for dinner. They're hoping you'll dive out there and say, I think I'm going to take a swim with the sharks. In fact, they're hoping that you're going to do that because they know that if you'll dive out there with the sharks, you're not going to come back home again. Why don't you invite the sharks to come to where you live? Why don't you let them slide up there on the beach, get on the territory where you live, and then you can kick them on the nose? Why don't, why don't we say that we think that we're smarter than the sharks are? Listen, we're not smarter than the devil is. I hear people say, well, I'm going to outsmart the devil. Really? You're going to take the devil on? I'm here to tell you, my friend, that's not how you get victory over the devil. And I'm going to talk about that tomorrow night. You don't get victory over the devil because you think you're smart enough, because you're strong enough, because you think you work out enough at the gym. I'm telling you, this is not a just a power issue. It's an authority issue. And when we learn that, that God will give us victory in the name of Jesus Christ. When darkness comes, sometimes Christians make a mess out of their life. You watch how Christians respond. When difficulty comes and when darkness rolls in, some will gossip. Wow. Next time a person comes up and wants to gossip, just, just do this. This works every time. I promise you. Just point at your ears and ask them a question. What are these? They say, well, they're ears. Oh, I thought you thought they were trash cans. I'm glad you recognize these are ears. Because I don't put garbage in my ears. You say, but I may lose a friend. There's some friends you don't need. We attract who we are, not what we want. If you're attracting gossipers to your life, that's not a compliment. If you're attracting the most negative people on the planet to your life, that is not a compliment. We attract who we are, not what we want. I can just tell you, I'm not on the vine. I'm not on the vine in the ministry. I have no idea what's going on outside of what we've talked about this morning and tonight. I'm not interested. I'm here to tell you, my friend, when we get focused on what the Lord has for us, we don't have time for that other stuff. We need to not respond in a negative, manipulative way when darkness comes our way. How do we respond? Well, Isaiah told us. He says, let him trust and rely on his God. Now, don't think for a moment that darkness overcomes the light. Light always overcomes the darkness. In fact, darkness will run from the light. If you don't believe that's true, I'll prove it to you tonight. When you get home, go into your bedroom, turn that light on, and after you turn that light on, go over to the closet door, open up that closet door, and you will find that the darkness has run inside that closet. Darkness will run from the light. Go into your family room and turn on the light and look under the sofa. Darkness is hiding from the light. Stand in the foyer of your home and turn the light on. Open up the front door 
and the darkness will stay on the outside while the light is on the inside. But if you turn that light off, the darkness that's on the outside will rush into the inside. If for some reason God has turned the light off, darkness has come, wise is the person who waits until God turns the light back on. If we're walking through darkness, or darkness is coming, the temptation is to chase after a setting sun. But what we need to do is turn, walk into the darkness, and catch a rising sun. If we will turn and move in the direction of a rising sun, we'll get out of the darkness faster than we do chasing a setting sun. How do we lean and how do we trust in the Lord? Just how we got saved. We didn't get saved just because we got it all figured out. We trusted in him. We allowed him to come into our life. And when challenges come our way, we lean and we trust in the Lord. Doesn't mean that tears sometimes don't flow. Doesn't mean that sometimes darkness does not come our way. But my way, my friend, the way out of the darkness is to lean and trust in the Lord. Fifth and last is what I call faith's daybreak. If your sun has gone down, it will come back up again. You will not live in darkness forever. What does the Word of God say? The Word of God says we may weep for a night or a season, but joy comes in the morning. I love sunrises. I love it when the sun comes up. I live about maybe about 15 minutes from where this picture was taken. I love to take walks along the water. I'm 45 minutes from the Orlando airport. Some of my friends say, well, James, you live a long way from the airport. I say, no, I live 15 minutes from the water. It was on purpose. And every once in a while, I'll get up early in the morning, and I'll take a walk while the sun is coming up. And I'll begin to quote the scripture. And one of those that I love so very much, the same one that you do, that this is the day that the Lord has made, and I will rejoice in it. This is your day, Lord. This is the day you have given unto me. Just because the sun has gone down doesn't mean it will not come up again. I mentioned this morning in passing uh, that we laid to rest uh, two children in the 1990s. You can throw that marker up. And, um, and that was a very, very, very difficult time uh, in our life. And I remember about two weeks after we lost our second child, I was with a close pastor friend of mine in Kansas City. He serves on our ministry board until this day. And, but only a really close friend can say something like this. And this is what he said to me and my wife, Sherry. He said, um, he said, God has trusted you with a pain that he doesn't trust many people with. He said, don't trash it. Listen to what he said. He said, God has trusted you with a pain that he doesn't trust many people with. Don't trash it. That was a word for Sherry and me in season. Didn't mean the heartache instantly went away. Doesn't mean that from time to time we still don't reflect over that period of time in our life. And when we're back in Springfield, Missouri, where this picture was taken, we go out to the cemetery. We spend time there. We ponder how the Lord has taken care of the Davis family. But I'm here to tell you, if we hadn't walked through that, we wouldn't have the family that you see tonight. Um, These are our two lovely daughters, uh, Olivia and Priscilla. Priscilla being in red and Olivia in black. Now, as I mentioned in the second service today, my wife and I, uh, I'm 53, she's 52. Our children are 7 and 13. A friend of mine asked me, hey, James, what's your retirement plan? I said, retirement plan? We don't have a retirement plan. Our children are 7 and 13. We're praying for an energy plan in our house. That's what we're praying for. 
Um, my dad's 83. My grandmother's 101 and a half. She was in church yesterday or today in central Florida. So I'm praying, God, let me have a little bit of that in my life. Um, not too long ago, I was sitting with my girls in the, in the, the floor of our house. And when I'm talking with uh, them, uh, even to my teenager, we get on the floor and we just lay there and talk eyeball to eyeball. And I remember sitting there one time looking into their Asian eyes. And I said, now, when you, when you get older, you're going to more appreciate it than what I'm about to say now. But mom and dad had to drive through a cemetery to get to mainland China. That we had to be willing to keep going and not get stuck there and live the rest of our life there. Uh, we had to be able to go through that to get to the other side. And my dear friend, there's no way that I would exchange the two lovely girls that the Lord has trusted us with, even if he resurrected our daughter and our son that passed away. I'm here to tell you, God's more than fair. God's more than just. He's generous beyond measure to each and every one of us in this auditorium tonight. We know Psalm 23 by heart, many of us. Verse number four is one of my favorites like yours, where King David says this, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, for my God is with me. Listen to what David said. He said, though I walk through. Aren't you glad you're walking through it? Aren't you glad it's not a box canyon? Aren't you glad it's not a dead-end street? Aren't you glad it's not a cul-de-sac? Aren't you glad we're walking through? David says, though I walk through the valley. My friend, life is not just lived on mountaintops. It's also lived in valleys. If there weren't any valleys, you wouldn't have any mountains. And without any mountains, you wouldn't have any valleys. We're not just called to live from mountaintop to mountaintop with no valleys in between. David said, though I walk through the valley of the shadow. Stop there. Shadow. How do you have a shadow? There's only one way that you and I can have a shadow, and that's to have a light that's shining down upon us. If we have a light that's shining down upon us, we have a shadow down below us. Let's stop complaining about the shadows because they remind us that God's light is shining down upon us. I've learned to give thanks to God for the shadows in my life because it reminds me that God's light is still shining down upon me. He says, though I walk to the valley of the shadow of death. He describes death as a shadow. Now, sometimes shadows can frighten us, but shadows cannot hurt us. If you don't believe that, go out to, to Highway 119, pull your car off to the side, let some 18-wheelers pass you by. And if the weather's warm enough, get outside the car, stand beside the car, let the 18-wheelers pass you by. And the shadows will run right over you, one right after another. One shadow will run over you like another one. And then you can come back home and your spouse could ask you or your parent could ask you, hey, how did your day go? Well, I got run over by the shadows of a 100 trucks today. But not one shadow hurt me all day long. But if you choose to stand out there in the middle of the highway, you're going to have a different experience. It won't be the force of the shadow. It'll be the force of the truck. Now, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ took the force of the truck on Calvary. All we have is the shadow, and it's called the valley of the shadow of death. Hallelujah. Sometimes, sometimes death can frighten us, the little shadow called death. But listen, for you and me who know the Lord, death does not hurt us. It sometimes it frightens us. But, my friend, it's a doorway to eternal life. He says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he says, I shall fear no evil. Listen to what he says. He doesn't say, I won't fear some of the time. 
He doesn't say, I, I, I will fear certain things and not other things. He said, I will fear no evil. The valley of the shadow of the death where you can go to today in Israel was a place filled with criminals and murderers and thieves. That's why it was called the valley of the shadow of death and where David would say, I fear no evil. How could David say that? David could say it, ladies and gentlemen, because he knew who he was and he knew where he was. Now, oftentimes in the West, we like to quote the Psalms. But an Israeli or a Jewish man or woman would never quote the Psalms. They would sing the Psalms. In fact, even Jesus Christ, while he was dying on a cross, was singing Psalm 22 while he was dying on the cross. It's one of the greatest songs of all time. We oftentimes quote Jesus while he was dying. But my friend, he wasn't just quoting the psalm. He was singing the psalm. It's the greatest love song of all. But certain psalms come together. They're coming clusters. Some are called the psalm of ascents. Psalm 22, 23, and 24 would be sung together. They would not be sung Psalm 22 or Psalm 23 or Psalm 24. Uh, like We like to separate them all out. Uh, they would be sung together. Why is that? Well, in Psalm 22, there is a mountain. In Psalm 23, there is a valley. In Psalm 24, there is another mountain. In Psalm 22, it's called Mount Calvary. In Psalm 24, it's called Mount Zion. In Psalm 22 is the mountain where Jesus died. In Psalm 24 is the mountain where Jesus is coming back. In Psalm 22, it's all about crucifixion. In Psalm 24, it's all about carnation. In Psalm 22, it's about the first time that Jesus came. In Psalm 24, it's about the second time that Jesus Christ will come. Now, where do you and I live our life? We live our life in Psalm 23. We're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. God's light is shining down upon us. We look to the left. We see where Jesus Christ died for us. We look to the right. We see where Jesus Christ is coming back for us. And we're like David of old. Though I walk to the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, for my God is with me. And I'm here to tell you, he's with you in the shadows. He's with you in the darkness. He's with you in the pain and the anguish. He's with you when the sun is out. He's with you when the moon is shining. I'm here to tell you, he's with you every day of your life for the glory of almighty God. Hallelujah. He's with you every day. What do we do tonight? We come to him and we say, Lord, I lean on you more and I trust in you more. Thanks for listening. Tune in again next week.